Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. St. Louis's Contemporary Art Museum kicks off its fall season this Friday. Among the new exhibits are two with particular local resonance. One is by Chicago artist Bethany Collins. It turns the Ferguson Report into art. The other is by artist Stephanie Sihuko. It was inspired by her summer residency in St. Louis. Here she researched a bizarre feature of the 1904 World's Fair, living zoos that displayed indigenous people as if they were, well, zoo animals. Joining me in studio to talk about these new shows is Wasan Al-Kuteri. She is the museum's chief curator. Wasan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're also joined by artist Stephanie Siuko, whose work is on display. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Do you have a question or comment about these new art shows or about the Meatless Movement we'll discuss later in the hour? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Stephanie, you were born in Manila and you're a professor at UC Berkeley, but you ended up spending some time in St. Louis working on a site-specific work for CAM. How did that come about? Well, um, last year, when I was approached by Wesson to um, have an exhibition at the Contemporary Museum, I decided that it would be really interesting to create a new component that actually um, responded specifically to something local. And so whenever I do uh, projects and have a chance to actually make new work, I do try to you know, incorporate in something so that visitors who uh, come to it and are from the city uh, can actually connect in some way. Otherwise, I, th- I think sometimes it can feel like it's, you know, work taken kind of out of context or, or placed, um, you know, without thought to uh, the, the particular city. So, um, you know, just with some very preliminary research, it was very, um, uh, um, what came to the forefront was the 1904 World's Fair, which, um, as you mentioned, uh, featured what were known at the time as human zoos. And it was, it was a very, um, you know, kind of a, a dark uh, situation in the sense that, you know, these collections of people were brought over from other countries in an attempt to create displays. And, um, you know, under the idea that it was to educate the American public about foreign peoples. But what wound up happening was, unfortunately, the, um, you know, a... Uh, uh, um, a way in which uh, other people were, you know, turned into uh, uh, n- not, uh, let's see, how can I say this? <laughs> that they were uh, unfortunately uh, shown at times to be less than human. And so you ended up looking particularly at the exhibit involving Filipinos. I understand there were a very large number of them that were in St. Louis for a long time. Yeah, I was really surprised. I mean, it's um, it was quite a feat. You know, the entire World's Fair, as most St. Louisans Louisans know, you know, took up most of uh, Forest Park. And um, it was, uh, they imported 1,200 Filipinos uh, representing multiple tribes uh, or different, you know, regions of the Philippines. And then they created these uh, uh, different village areas so uh, audience members could, you know, kind of travel from one area to the other and view different cultures. And what did they see as they're seeing these cultures? Are the Filipinos were doing what they would have been doing back at home? 
Well, they were encouraged to perform their, you know, everyday activities, but uh, I think amplified in such a way to, you know, create a, a kind of exotic display. So, um, the, according to what I had seen, and I, I also have to kind of preface this and say that I'm not a World's Fair scholar. You know, as an artist that was researching these things, I was a, a, I was able to get access to archives and library materials, mostly focusing on photos. So, um, what I was able to see through the photographs was an attempt to, um, you know, create what appeared to be a kind of naturalistic setting. So in many cases, um, houses were reconstructed, you know, in uh, using traditional materials or, or things close to it. And, um, and people were encouraged, the, the Filipinos were encouraged to uh, uh, pretend that they were living their daily lives. Well, Sen, you must have been very intrigued when Stephanie lit upon this as, as the local component. Did you have any concerns that delving deep into this history would just repeat the sins of 1904? Um, I did, but um, knowing Stephanie and her practice and the way that she approach, approaches her work, um, I knew that she would approach the material and the subject matter um, delicately um, and with a lot of... Um, uh, care towards um, the ethics of how one looks at uh, these images. And um, a lot of what you'll see in the exhibition um, allows for audiences to think about um, how one should work with archives and how images, um, how the reproduction of images can be destructive. But Stephanie has really thought very carefully about how to represent these images, um, I think, in a way that um, starts to hopefully encourage people to think about the way in which uh, we should not only think about this particular history, but that this is a stand-in for a larger conversation about how we think about other cultures and other communities today. Um, something that um, she's doing with her practice in this work and other work as well that you will see in the exhibition at CAM is think about how things from the past, historical um, situations, uh, how, how can help us see and think about our current context as a nation. Um, and I think a lot of uh, conversation about um, you know, the other people from other places is really in, in the forefront of the way that we have been talking um, both sort of socially and politically in this country today. And I think these are entry points and access points. These works on display are entry points and access points to, to hopefully having a, a, a wider conversation and being critical of the way that we um, view other, uh, other cultures and communities. And that's actually a perfect segue to our third guest who's here today. We're also joined by artist Bethany Collins, who has come here from Chicago. Bethany, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Bethany, the work you're showing is also very much informed by local history. What made you decide to turn the Ferguson Report into art? So I actually made the, uh, it's called, the piece is called A Pattern or Practice, uh, right after the publication of the report, so in 2015. Um, it's a blind embossing of 91 pages of the Ferguson Report, the investigation into the DOJ investigation into the Ferguson Police Department. And tell us a blind embossing. What does that em mean? Blind embossing is when, uh, so I create plates of the text actually from the document, from the original document, and engrave the text backwards. And then you can soak a piece of paper until it becomes just malleable enough to 
force the paper into the grooves of the engraved text. And then when you lift the paper up and allow it to dry, that text is now protruding from the surface of the page. Almost the way Braille would. It acts like a Braille. So from a distance, it's like a wall of white. It's hard to see. It's hard to make sense of. It's a bit hard on the eyes. Once you get up close, the text is actually still quite legible. It's crisp and articulate. And so all the information is there, all the reasons um, and solutions, but the... um, but it's a difficult and a kind of painful document to make sense of and to physically make sense of. There's a way in which, because it's shown unframed, that you want to touch it. There is a desire to touch in order to to feel the braille of it and to make sense of the document itself. And yet you're also forbidden from touching it. And so there's a part that you will never quite be able to grasp. Um, I made the piece um, after the po- report was released in 2015. And I remember reading... It was an NPR story, and they quoted a professor in St. Louis who said, reading the report was like being told that water is wet. Hmm. It's like, of course it is. But if if we've been saying it's not for a really long time, then the act of stating a really obvious truth can still be a very remarkable act. The other point of the piece is that the conclusion pages are left out. So it's 91 pages, excluding the entire report, excluding the conclusion. And what was your thinking on that? So I actually... You know, there are some pieces, there are some documents and archives that exist in the world that are, that become so important upon their release that I am not sure that I have the capacity to handle them, right? There are some things that take on a kind of sacred um, level of importance that that to to interact with the work, to try to make something from the work requires that we're able to transcend what it already means. So I started looking back at previous reports that were published by the DOJ all the way back until the Kerner Commission in the 60s. I decided to leave the conclusion pages out of a pattern or practice, the Ferguson piece, because those solutions are already known all the way back in the 60s, right? It's the same So that's same not reasons. news. Yeah. It's not new. We know the answers. We know what to do. It's the choice not to do them. And so leaving it out feels like a way to point to the, a repetition of history and a kind of unresolve of history at the same time. And so this this Ferguson report piece that you created is part of sort of a two-part work called Chorus. What's the second component? So Chorus is actually the title of the entire exhibition, but shown with the Ferguson piece are some cover pages from the Birmingham News from 1963. So in 1963, the Birmingham News editorial board decided not to publish any civil rights stories on their cover pages of the newspaper even though these things were happening down the block, like two blocks away from the newspaper. They just were going to ignore this. Sometimes they completely ignored it. Sometimes they buried it inside. So when the Washington Post, the New York Times, LA Times, is giving front page importance to these iconic images of the civil rights protests, marches, and arrests, Birmingham News is publishing stories about Sophia Loren is sick in bed and can't get to the movie shoot. There's a, a newspaper reporter who visits the zoo and that's the entire story is that he visits the zoo, right? Wow. Instead of they were scraping for feel good news there, mm-hmm. and so those works are also blind embossed because different than the a pattern or practice, the Birmingham news pieces. What's actually the story, the heart of the thing, is missing. So the blind embossing, to me, in a pattern or practice, is haunting. Right? It's that repetition of the past, and in the Birmingham news, the hauntingness is that it's um, that it's actually never told. Listen, these are two very um, heavy (laughs) exhibits. How do you see these two um, different works interacting with each other? 
Yeah, well, I think um, when when you are constructing a program for a contemporary art museum in St. Louis and thinking about uh, the ways in which contemporary art can be relevant to our lives today, um, I think we have some responsibility of thinking about the current kind of uh, moment that we're living in and ways to create access points, multiple access points for people to be able to come in and connect with and hopefully either feel confirmed by something, learn something new, um, be exposed to something that is um, different or exciting or challenging. Um, I think that's something that is what motivates the way that we think about our program at the museum. Um, this season, it, it feels like a lot of the things that we're talking about at CAM are notions of citizenship. What does it mean to be a citizenship? What are the things that you're afforded uh, and who is afforded what? Uh, what does it mean to be American today? Um, I think that's something that you can really think about when you're both seeing both exhibitions, this notion of um, I, I place and home and placenessness, um, but also community and representation and, and the way in which um, someone can um, be in their community and understand the kind of role that they uh, they can play in their community. That's Wesson Al-Kuderi, the chief curator at the Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis. We're also talking to artists Stephanie Siuko and Bethany Collins. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. And now back to our conversation with Wesson Al-Kuderi of the Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis and artists Stephanie Siuko and Bethany Collins. Stephanie, your title work is actually not the work about the Philippine village. It's actually called Rogue State, and the medium is flags. That seems very unusual to me, um, and it has to be unusual for, for many art lovers. How did you end up settling on this as a, a topic yeah, or a so, medium? <laughs> well, one of the pleasures of being able to do an exhibition at the uh, Contemporary Museum was that they have so much space. And, um, you know, uh, I'm actually showing seven different projects, and the one that you referenced, Rogue States, which is also the title of the exhibition, consists of 22 flags that are hanging in the middle of a beautiful um, kind of performance area. So visitors are able to walk under them, they're able to see them, they're very colorful, and they sort of remind one of maybe a United Nations style hanging of flags. But on closer inspection, when you read the title and the, um, uh, the project description on the wall, it actually describes that these are uh, fictional flags of quote-unquote enemy countries that are pulled from American, Hollywood, and European movies. So, you know, over the course of uh, multiple uh, decades, Hollywood films have uh, uh, created, you know, um, uh, uh, kind of antagonistic countries, you know, so that uh, the stars could fight against um, folks from uh, enemy nations. And thinking about how these are actually constructions and fictions, um, I decided to gather a number of them together to uh, kind of form this uh, a kind of a collection of American and European anxiety of the other. So in Missouri, we we're very proud of our local son, Mark Twain. I understand he does fit into this exhibit. 
Yeah, so one of the other projects that um, is debuting at the CAM, and again, is a re direct result of the time that I spent here um, doing research over summer. Uh, there's a very large flag that is uh, titled uh, To the Person Sitting in Darkness, which is also the title of an essay written by Mark Twain in, I think, either 1901 or 1902. And this essay was a direct response to American imperialism in the Philippines. And what's unusual about that is um, he had described a alternate American flag based on the, the kind of atrocities, actually, that American uh, soldiers were uh, wreaking in the Philippines. And he, he, um, he suggested that the flag be changed so that the stars are replaced by the skull and crossbones and that the white stripes uh, are replaced by uh, black. And, you know, at, at, on f at first glance, uh, the flag, you know, obviously has American references to it. But, you know, the and it also seems quite contemporary in, in a certain way. But I like the fact that this flag was actually designed over 100 years ago by, you know, a local hero. And he is sort of painting ourselves here as the bad guy. Well, I think he's he's. He's being thoughtfully critical in the sense that I think a, a good uh, citizen of this country actually has the right to be. So, you know, one of the um, I think one of the responsibilities each of us has is to be able to um, outline and acknowledge when, you know, there are um, there are uh, problems in the country that need direct addressing. And I think America's expansion as a colonial power during the turn of the century is one of those um, time periods in which there was a lot of debate happening in politics about how should we, you know, have these excursions, like who do we consider, you know, in, inside uh, our boundaries and who is outside. Wesson, what do you hope that the um, art lover who visits and sees these flags, what do you hope they'll be thinking about as they look at the fake flags from Hollywood and, and from Mark Twain? I think like Stephanie said that originally, I mean, when you first see them, you know, they're colorful and they uh, really light up that space and use the kind of negative space in the kind of ceiling of our performance um, gallery uh, to to kind of, I think you first you're sort of on excited and you're like, oh, what is this? These are flags. How is this art? You know, these kinds of questions. But um, I hope that people can be more critical. And um, I think people will be interested in figuring out like which flag is from what movie, because, you know, one of the things that Stephanie did do is the research to kind of like, what is, you know, uh, so there's like, I was very excited to see Zamunda from Coming to America, one of my favorite movies, you know, and recreated it based on the way that the flag appeared in the film, mm. which is interesting. But I think it's it is about this criticality of the way in which um, we view other cultures, um, and and that there is a kind of um, there is an ongoing. I think in, in in communities of color, we we joke about it more casually that you know the bad guy is always the Middle Eastern guy or the you know the there's a kind of feeling, and I I think that it's there's an ability to have a little bit of humor with rogue states um, as an act again an access point. You know, I think that something that we think a lot about as uh, people who work in a public institution is how do we present opportunities that will engage a variety of audiences. And for some people, you know, it is about the focus, like, you know, a, f a photograph that's framed on the wall. For other people, it's through humor, and through for other people, it's through a kind of his a narrative or a particular story that, uh, that connects. So the idea is how many different ways can we um, try to access people to bring them in to kind of have this conversation about your responsibility as a citizen today. Um, 
Bethany Collins, let's talk about something that's almost the flip side of, of something that has an element of humor, and that is the classified advertisements that ended up form, informing um, another piece of your work that's going to also be exhibited at Contemporary Art Museum. Um, what are these classified advertisements that, that were the origin of this project? So Information Wanted 1893 consists of 42 classified ads. These classified ads were published by formerly enslaved people, so after who'd lost their family in the war, slavery, emancipation. And they'd published these ads because they were looking for their family shortly after the Civil War all the way up until the 1920s. Sometimes you just see, you know, one person, one ad. Sometimes you see these ads start to recur, and every year they'll publish an ad because they're still looking for their family. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's just, that's so heavy. Well, so I made the piece right after most, a lot of the work in in chorus is made after the 2016 election. This piece in particular was made after the family separation crisis at the border. There's a kind of refrain within the ads themselves. So you start to notice in, let's say, the 1890s nadir of post-Reconstruction, that people start to they start to ask the same question, and it only happens in this decade. And the question becomes, can you help me to find my people? Can you help me to find my people? Other refrains, people will read an ad and they'll ask in the same way for their family members. So other refrains become, will the ministers of the South please read this from your pulpits? Do you know them? Do you know her? Have you seen them? I wish to find my people. I want to find my people. And so those become a kind of chorus of longing um, but also of belonging. It's a claiming that you belong to a people and that you are continuing to look for them. You mentioned the ministers. They they were pleading with the ministers to read these from the pulpit. Did that happen? It did. Heather Williams writes a really interesting book about this called Help Me to Find My People. And she um, she documents how, you know, the, so these were published in newspapers across the South, African-American newspapers, Um, of people looking for their family, but then also because not everybody had a newspaper subscription, not everyone could read, ministers would definitely pick them up and read them from the pulpits in the hope that it would reach a broader audience. And every once in a while, uh, Williams uh, does document a few people who actually did find their family this way, but it was rare. So the piece itself is also embossed, that blind embossing technique. But for this work, I blind embossed them twice. And the force of pressure, kind of soaking the paper and repressing them twice, makes the paper, it forces it to fall apart in different ways. Like the paper itself can't hold up under that amount of repetition. And again, I made these after the separation crisis at the border in a way to point to a kind of repetition of the past and what that does to the surface of the page, what that does to us collectively when we keep repeating these violent mistakes. Stephanie, do you see um, repetition of us making those same mistakes um, in light of some of the historical stuff that your work deals with? Yes, for sure. Um, I think what which, what was so surprising to me when, um, you know, working with work now that's over 100 years old, the references to the World's Fair and the um, archive materials, was that, you know, the, these structures that were created over 100 years ago and, and you know, centuries before, too, they, they still recur. You know, they've, they've shaped and they've formed um, uh, people's outlooks on other peoples. And, you know, sadly, it feels like we're, you know, we're, we're returning again to um, questions that, you know, should have been settled long ago. And as Bethany mentioned, you know, the, this, what's 
What's fascinating, though, is how as artists, you know, we're able to kind of take this information, process it, and hopefully create a connection between, um, you know, uh, today and the past, and do so in a way that also has metaphor in it. So, you know, one thing that's really hard to describe, I think, in, um, in talking about artwork is that you're not able to actually see the, you know, either the seduction of the materials, the, um, you know, the aesthetics and the, um, the physical treatment of images and objects. And I think that's also something that helps, you know, so instead of writing an essay uh, about the topic, we're trying to create these uh, resonant images. Listen, do you think these will be resonant for museum goers? I hope so. I hope so. That's the that's the idea. That's the that's the hope and the desire. I think that um, Bethany and Stephanie have both um, put together beautiful exhibitions that I think people will be really excited to see. And I think that um, you know something that is the 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 arts can be a place that can help us process and understand the world that we're living in today. Help us um, identify areas of of tension and difficulty, and maybe even bring us closer together in trying to understand some of the challenges that we're facing as a nation um, today. Now that these exhibits are in are being installed and they've gone up, and you guys, I guess, were both on site yesterday, was there anything in each other's work that you found particularly striking? Not to put you on the spot, but um, Bethany, anything that, that you noticed looking at Stephanie's? You know, I, I have a minimal kind of palette. Where our, the aesthetic of the exhibitions is quite different, which I appreciate, but it's that the thematic elements are so similar. I like it when an artist can tackle an idea that I find really interesting and am drawn to, but they do it in a way that I don't have the capacity for, and I think that's what, Steph, that's what I'm enjoying about Stephanie's Because you guys work in such different mediums. Very different. Two very different shows. Completely. But I also think, this is Stephanie, um, I also think, though, it's, what was wonderful to see in Bethany's work um, is that you know, she she spent time researching primary documents, and one of the works um, in my exhibition also researched um, photographs from the archives of the Missouri Historical Society, the St. Louis Public Library, and the Mercantile Library. And so, you know, the how do you translate these images and texts? Um, you know, into something that has contemporary resonance. I feel like a viewer, when they pass through our works, can see the overlaps, but also, you know, the unique ways in which we've treated our subject matter. Listen, I know we've only talked about a small percentage of what's going to be at CAM this fall. Is there anything else that you'd want to just um, highlight so our listeners don't miss it when they go to visit? Sure. Um, the third exhibition that we have up um, this season is um, part of our Street View series, which is the outdoor video projection that you can see uh, just by driving or walking by the outside of CAM uh, once it goes uh, a little bit darker outside. Um, and that is the work of a Brazilian artist, Jonathan. Andrade. Um, he um, made a work called Voyeuristico, um, which you can see on the facade. And it is a kind of slow motion or slow moving um, video that shows um, people opening their wallets. He filmed this, uh, made this video um, in uh, Rio de Janeiro and in Recife, which is where he's from and lives. Um, ask, he just went to the streets and asked people to open up their wallets. And he sort of sh- filmed it over their shoulders.
shoulder. And what you see is sort of people opening their wallets and you start to see people's identity cards, um, people's money. Like what are per- the kind of personal things that also give you an indication to somebody's sort of social um, class um, and, 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 and identification about someone's identity. And it's a, it's a piece that he talks about um, also being a piece that thinks about the current moment in Brazil today, the issues with um, class and corruption and the government. Um, and he talks about that in relation to the history of Brazil and the way in which Brazil was colonized and how that history has um, ha- is helping them understand the current present moment. And so the thing that I think has ties together all of the work in this season um, at CAM is um, artists that I think are all looking at the past to kind of help us understand or process the present. And also to think about how the past and the mistakes of the past have brought us to uh, the present moment. And what can we learn from that and where can we go from there? That's Wasan Al-Kuderi of the Contemporary Art Museum, St. Louis. We are also joined today by Stephanie Siuko and Bethany Collins. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.